This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, this is Willie Tyler. This is Lester. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. There it nice. is. Nice. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a musician, songwriter, a 2009 inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the lead guitarist of one of the most popular and influential bands in rock history, Metallica. He's also co-writer of several of the band's signature hits, including Fade to Black, Master of Puppets, and Enter Sandman. And he's been named one of Rolling Stone's 100 greatest rock guitarist of all time. As a boy, he developed a keen interest in horror and science fiction movies, including the original Frankenstein, which led to a lifelong quest to acquire artifacts and memorabilia celebrating the movies he loved. In, 2000, in his 2012 hardcover book, Too Much Horror Business features more than 300 images of the vast collection of horror movie memorabilia he's amassed over the course of three decades, including toys, masks, models, artwork, even original costumes worn by Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And his terrific follow-up book, It's Alive, features dozens of horror and sci-fi movie posters from his personal collection, including rare posters from Frankenstein, Nosferatu, and The Mummy. Please welcome to the show one of the most accomplished musicians of the rock era, a fellow monster kid, 
and most importantly, a man who shares our love of the black hat, Kirk Hammett. Howdy. Kirk, welcome. Wow, that's quite an intro, Gilbert. Uh, you're kind of making me blush there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the lengthy intros have become part of the show, Kirk. Yeah, I like it. They they double as an obituary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, now I kind of get an uh, get, I got an example of how it might end up. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's something I I have a hard time putting together because I remember people telling me you should get Kirk Hammett on this show. Yeah, lots of people. From Metallica. And I said, uh, from Metallica, why? And, and I thought, and they said, he's the biggest old monster movie freak there is. His collection is insane. And, and so how... You know, the world of hard rock and nerdy guys uh, buying a, 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 you know. Yeah, he straddles both of those worlds. It's weird because in your rock world, you get laid. (laughs) And I don't think you do that in, you know, getting one of uh, the electroids that Glenn Strange wore. (laughs) Well, Glenn Strange turns women on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I started getting into the horror thing from a very, very young age. I mean, I I, I felt the, the the draw, the attraction when I was five years old, and that it was when I had seen my very first horror movie, which is Day of the Triffids, and you know, it never, never waned from that moment on. From seeing that movie, that movie to right this second, it's never waned. I've, I've always been attracted to this this uh, this genre because it just feels so fun so great and so comfortable and so relatable and you know this is my very first love the horror genre and music came a lot later so to tell you the truth I, you know this this is this is this was my world that I lived in as a child. It was just a complete world that I, I created for myself. Reading all these uh, all these comic books, reading all the monster magazines, seeing the movies, you know, watching the the Saturday night uh, horror shows that are on TV. Were you a creature features and guy too, Kirk? I, Bob Wilkins was. My oh, Bob hero. Wilkins, right, the local horror yes. host. Yep, San Francisco. On the east side, we had Zachary. Zachary. Well, you know Zachary. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. lost him yeah. recently. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Zachary uh, pretty much had the best uh, um, description for the type of music I played. And he called it that plugged-in music. That plugged-in music. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> to this day, that, that description is just close to my heart mm-hmm. because it's... You know, it's very accurate, actually. It's apt. I, I remember I grew up reading Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yes. And I had that- two things that I bought from the magazine. One, the Frankenstein poster. Is that the poster that you still have yeah. in the house? Yeah. He's got it in the living room. And and in the magazine, they make it like they're sending Frankenstein to your home. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, yeah. it's a poster. 
But uh, it's it's in a frame in the living room now. I kept it for years. The other thing I have, also a complete ripoff, was Herman the Asiatic Insect. Now, this in the picture, you see a little kid open a box <laughs> and an enormous monster with fangs and claws <laughs> and tentacles leap out and people are screaming in terror. So I sent away for that. And it's a little tiny box about an inch long with a, a tiny stick in it, like uh, like an ice cream stick that has some fuzz glued on it and a rubber band for antennas. <laughs> and and that's Herman the, the Asiatic. Does insect. that ring a bell with you, Kirk? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, remember seeing, I remember seeing the ad in, in Captain Company. And uh, yeah, that ad, it was like you were sending away for like a, some genie in in a bottle, but it was, you know, horrible Herman in a box. And uh, I remember years later, finally seeing one of those things and opening it up and thinking, oh my God, horrible Herman, you're so not horrible. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you do the sea monkey thing too? Oh, yeah, I had numerous sea monkey uh-huh. uh, adventures, you know. Uh-huh. They, they like, always died on yeah, me, you know. Yeah, the brine you're shrimp. Supposed to let them, yeah, you're supposed to let them uh, grow, you know, from like Monday to Friday. But by Wednesday, mine would all be floating at the top of the water. I don't know what, what, what went wrong. And they didn't have crowns or robes or anything. Like in the picture. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they were didn't have exactly. a big throne they sat in. <laughs> Exactly, you know, and and faces. I was expecting these things, you know, to be swimming around with, like, totally human features and whatnot, you know, being able to, like, look at me and interact. You know, I remember seeing an ad, and uh, and it wasn't in Famous Monsters, but it was in some other magazine, and it said, 12-foot-tall monster from space, 25 cents, and I thought, Wow, this is too good to be true. And so I sent my 25 cents in. I remember like three months later, this package came and it was a tube. And I was like, what is this? And I remember opening it up and thinking, poster? I didn't, I didn't order a poster. And then unrolling it. And it's the picture of the 12-foot space monster. <laughs> they never oh, told you that geez. it was, oh, you know, a, 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 a poster. I thought it was some, like, three-dimensional sort of figure. But, you know, when you're seven and a half years old, of eight course. years old, you know, you're expecting the world. 25 but cents yeah. isn't bad for a poster, though. Yeah. One thing we've discussed on this show, but I, I don't think could be discussed enough, they would advertise you could buy monkeys. Oh, yeah. We talked about that with Joe Dante. Yes. yes. And a totally crooked operation. Yeah. And it, when you got the package, I heard the monkeys, there was no laws on the books, maybe. But the monkeys would be sent to these kids who were either, the, and the monkey would either be dying or dead. When it got to the kid's house. Wow. So they they actually did send a real that's, life monkey. That's what we hear. Yes. That's what we hear. We, we had the wow. director, Joe Dante, here, and he disputed it. But 
It, I've wow. seen ads for it. Yeah. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember looking at a, a lot of that Captain Company stuff and, and, and thinking, wow, all this stuff is really cool. But, you know, I grew up a poor kid. So, you know, I would always stare at the Don Post magazines, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don, Don Post, Post masks. masks. I mean, Don, yeah. Don Post masks. And, and think, wow, these are the greatest masks in the world. But how am I going to afford $32.99? You know? When it was a real struggle for me to just like come up with 50 cents to buy famous monsters, you know, uh, uh, every month or so. Was, didn't, you, you know, didn't your parents it, give you money for milk and, and lunch and you would you would blow it on, on at the comic book shop and on famous yeah. monsters and monster times and all that stuff? I would abstain from eating lunch. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's how that's how dedicated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up with a steady diet of famous monsters and creepy magazine, eerie magazine. Oh, yeah, eerie, for, sure. Yes. Yeah. Eerie and creepy. All that stuff. Yeah. And, and then later later on heavy metal magazine. And I heard with the monster masks in the back of the magazine, they would actually apply makeup to the masks to make them look yeah. better. Yeah. You know, I always kind of suspected that they were too good looking to be true. And, uh, you know, uh, I, if you see the masks nowadays, you know, the one, the actual ones, you know, the, the, uh, I, I could see how how they would have, like, uh, augmented the, the masks themselves. But one thing that they did do that, that none of the kids ever even knew about is when they wore the mask in the pictures, they put blackout around their eyes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when a kid would get these, these masks and put them on without the blackout, it, you know, <laughs> you would, it was so obvious that they were, you know, wearing a mask because you could see the flesh around the eyes coming through. And it wasn't quite the same effect as it was when you're looking at, at the picture in the magazine. You, you were an outcast, you, you call yourself an outcast kid, Kirk. That you, totally. And you, you related to the monsters you felt, and Gilbert, you've mentioned this on previous shows, that you felt sympathy oh, yeah. for the monsters. And it was an emotion that you developed early by watching monster movies. Because it was always like, well, Frankenstein's the most obvious. He's, uh, he's a little kid. He's, uh, he doesn't know about the world. And he just wants to be loved and have friends. Uh, yes. The Wolfman's like adolescence, where your whole body... Is changing and you're growing hair and you're you're sounding different and you don't know why this is happening. This is a theory he spent years developing, yeah. Kirk. And, <laughs> and then Dracula is what every guy wants to be. Yeah, Absolutely. he's, he's a the cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you hit it uh, on the spot on on all of those. You know, I always liked the mummy too because you know the 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 mummy struggled with, with with trying to communicate, and he always was so slow and lumbering. And you know, it's amazing that he actually caught anyone because he moves so slowly. <laughs> yes, we've talked about yeah. that on the show. <laughs> but we didn't. You didn't have a stage of life for the mummy. I guess it was old age. Yeah, I the, guess the, mu the mummy would be the. Arthritic. <laughs> yeah. I just, I find it interesting that you guys both had that, that moment, that turning point moment where you felt such sympathy and compassion for the monster. You were what, Kirk, five? 
when you watch Frankenstein? Five or six years old. Six years old with your yeah, dad. Yeah, and you know, I did, and it, there was something just uh, that I could relate to just right off the bat. You know, this guy who just want, wants to be loved and, and he wants to understand, you know, why he's there. And he, he, you know, he's looking for the right father figure, but he, he keeps on getting rejected, you know, from from the father figure and, you know, humanity as a whole. And, you know, in a micro sort of way, I kind of maybe I felt that as six as a six year old, <laughs> but I definitely felt that later on growing up. You know, I felt socially kind of like awkward. You know, and being a shy kid, you know, I just it, it's it was just it was just easy for me to 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 relate to these characters because you know there were there were just. They're stumbling through life with all, all these obstacles in front of them. And that's how my own life felt. You relate to that, Gil, being an introverted oh, kid and a, oh, absolutely. A, a withdrawn kid? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you always you identify with the monster in those movies. And I the earliest monster movie I remember seeing is uh, The Indestructible Man. With <laughs> yes. Ron Chaney, yeah, yes, and Robert Shane, who was the inspector on from Superman. Superman, Joe Flynn from McHale's Navy, and Max mm-hmm. Showalter, yeah, and yeah. and and I and I didn't realize at the time that Chaney Junior was like scary for the wrong reasons at that point <laughs> in his life. Yeah. He he's yeah. the world's biggest Lon Chaney Jr. fan, Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a lot lot of respect for Lon Chaney Jr. too, but you know he eventually did become that character in Mice and Men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's quite good yeah. in that. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. But yeah, I I I particularly like like Lon Chaney Jr. and the Wolfman. For me, I mean, that's just like his his classic performance. And I really like him as Count Alucard too. Oh yes, he, <laughs> yeah, it's great, great. I, I love that movie so much. We, uh, I, I have a son, and uh, my wife wanted to give him a middle name with an A in it from one of her relatives, <laughs> and I was pressuring her to name him Alucard. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she didn't go along with it, but I, I would have loved to have had a son <laughs> Count Alucard. I would have loved that too. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got Max into horror movies pretty early. Yes, yes. He, I mean, when he was really little, I would say, okay, who played Frankenstein? And he'd go, Boris Karloff. <laughs> and, and then the Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr., and then uh, and Bela Lugosi. You made him. You made sure he said Bela. Yes, right, you made, yes. Right, like, right. You, you have two sons, Kirk. How old are your sons yes, now? I do. How old are they now? Uh, nine, nine and eleven, and they're constantly asking me when they can watch certain horror movies. And you know, I'm I'm like thinking, well, wh- how old was I when I w- watched th- th- this kind of movie? And I always think. Way too early, <laughs> and so you know, I, I, you know, they asked me, "When can I see Hellraiser, Dad?" And I'm thinking, "Hmm, Hellraiser, it's 
kid's Ooh, nine years old. Yeah, that's intense. I don't know if uh, <laughs> they need to be seeing a movie about sex, sexual, uh, satanic uh, um, demons from hell. Maybe a little so young. Think, uh, 14, maybe. And they're like, how about 12? I'm you like, could watch 13. them, let them watch the, let them watch the universal classics though. Oh yeah. They, they, they've seen Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, but their favorite. And I'm not surprised is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. There you go. I, oh, I, I, I there love you go. so much. We've spoken a yeah. million times about that on this show. That's a great movie. Oh, I love it. Speaking of Glenn Strange. Yeah. And, you know, I really like Bill Lugosi's performance in that movie as well. I mean, he, you can tell that he was so happy to be back playing Count Dracula that, you know, every time he's on screen, he just like, he, he just like soaks it for so much, you know, atmosphere and vibe. At least that's what I think. And, and the funny, the oh, go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, Glenn Strange. He made such a great monster. I mean, his facial structure just really just added so much to it. Every like nook and cranny in his face just really augmented the character a lot. And the funny thing to me is like, you know, they weren't using Lugosi uh, back around that time in regular horror films. Was that 46? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 46, 47. Yeah. Yeah. And they used Carradine, who was terrific. He's a great actor. But boy, when you see Lugosi in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, you go, this is what was missing from the other movies. Absolutely. I agree. You know, um, you know John Carradine, I think, is a, a, a great, amazing actor. But I, I don't know why that decision was made. And, you know... They should, they, they should, the thing about Bela Lugosi is, is that he, he was just so, so much himself. Every time he walked out on screen, you know, you were just like, there he is, he's on screen. And, and he just dominated the, the whole room, you know? And I think that, 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 that kind of like held him back in the end, you know, especially with the Dracula role. But I agree, you know, he should have been in all those movies. House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein. Yeah, he is what's missing. He is what's missing from them, for sure. Speaking of uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, tell Gilbert, and it's in the book, it's in Too Much Horror Business, what you have. You have the masks that Bud and, yeah, that you, Bud and you, Lou wore. Yeah, yeah, you know the scene uh, where they're about to go to a, a, a Halloween costume ball? Yeah, sure. And, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and they, they put on two masks, uh, paper mache masks. One of them is of a werewolf. Another one is of like, you know, some like ghoulish kind of like vampire looking character. Those were found about five or 10 years ago. And I saw them in an auction. And oh my God, I couldn't believe that those things were still around. And I managed to acquire them. And so those made it into the book. And Fantastic. also, yeah, you know, I, I, the, the, the Wolfman head that's in the book is also from Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And it took a long time to verify that. But, you know, uh, once we, we were able to, like, authenticate it, that, that it was indeed from that movie, I was very, very happy because, you know, to have one prop from any of those Universal movies is incredible. To have two is, like, you know, great. To have actually three pieces, you know, I am in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> They're great, great things to own. 
Reading, yeah, co- I read an yeah. interview with you in Collectors Weekly, and this is interesting, Kirk. And it's, they said you said one of the ways that you acquire this stuff was to get in touch with people who worked on those Universal films. But are these are these heirs? I mean, these people aren't alive. How, how do you how do you go digging for stuff were, like that? Well, some of them were were heirs, you know. Some of them were, were, were relatives of, of of the people who actually you know worked on this stuff and had this stuff. I see. A lot of it, a lot of it, I, I got pre-internet, which is just like a lot of networking, you know, a, 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 just a lot of in, in investigating, a lot of grilling people. And I remember them. another moment where uh, my son made me really proud when he was like two or something. He was sitting in a coffee shop with my wife and he was staring at some guy sitting by himself in the corner and he he leans into my wife and he goes, Mommy, that man looks like Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's my, I don't wow. need DNA testing. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Oh, and, and now I had almost a full collection. Uh, Frank and I were talking about the, the, um, the Aurora Monster Models. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you too. Was that, was that the first thing? Was that the first item as a, as a kid that you decided yeah. to start collecting? Was that the the gateway drug, so yeah. to speak? <laughs> it was the beginning, and you know that it all started from me walking into the kitchen, and there was my brother and my cousin, and they're they're painting. Uh, they had bought a the Frankenstein model mm-hmm. and they were painting it and they're painting it all wrong. And I said to them, what are you doing? Frankenstein isn't purple and orange and yellow and green. And, you know, I, I, for years and years and years, I, I, I couldn't understand what that was all about until I just realized that, you know, they're on acid when they're painting. <laughs> this is like this is like 1968 or 1969. But when I saw the model, I was like, "Wow, they're doing a horrible job." And I ran, you know, ran to my mom and like got some some uh, you know what was it like? What were they like a dollar twenty five or something, something like that? I, yeah, not know, much more. The money from my mom went to uh, went to the store, picked up a um, uh, Aurora. Frankenstein model and built it. And that was the beginning of the end, really. <laughs> and I bought that, that, that particular model and every one of those models at least six or seven times as a child, because I was constantly building them, painting them and either blowing them up with firecrackers, or <laughs> setting them on fire or just doing something just absolutely destructive. I was, and you know, you know, I was just—it was just what I did with my. You my blew stuff. them up. That's why, yeah. I, that's why I—I I don't have anything left for my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Good thing you've had the yeah. scratch to replace them. Yeah, exactly. While I nudge Gilbert awake, listen to these words from our sponsor. Were you speaking? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. It's Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. Also, aside from the famous Wolfman Frankenstein, all those, uh, I remember my mother. She went to the store. And she bought me, they had two together. And I guess it was cheaper. Uh, They were like attached together. And one of them was the witch. That was just great. Yeah. And and Bride of Frankenstein. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That Bride of Frankenstein model was outrageously cool because... But the best thing for me about that Bride of Frankenstein model was there was a tray on the table with a human heart in it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She's on the slab. Yes. Right, 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 right. And. How cool. There, there was that other. Whoa. There was um, Forgotten Prisoner. Right. That was just. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was the other one, the uh, whatever they called it. It was a. Uh, box with different things to um whatever the word is when you add to something uh, they would have like little model rats or skulls oh, accessories accessories right and you could glue yeah, the, yeah the customizing kit yes yeah, yeah. yes and yes, you could the paint them kit. up and put them on your models that were already there yeah, and you had you had the glow yeah. in the you had the glow in the dark ones, Kirk. What do they call those? The light, the frightening lightning. Yeah, yeah. They they first came out as the frightening lightning, uh, you know, um, edition, and then they they were just after that they were just straight on, you know, Aurora glow in the dark models, and I love those too because. Because you know, for me, it, it opened up a whole new new uh, way of destroying them, which was in the dark. <laughs> so, Gil, you didn't blow yours up. <laughs> you you would sit there and get the glue and 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 yes. assemble and then and then painstakingly paint them. You did yeah, all you did I, all that. I would, yeah, I would glue them, paint them. I'm impressed. I, I even would like put paint paint in the eyes. I would get like uh, a pin, and I put a little paint on it. Fantastic! I, yeah, I read those things were so popular. I guess what sixty one, sixty two. That they, I hope this is true. That they were manufacturing them twenty four hours a day to keep up wow. with demand. Yeah, I, w- I would, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they had an amazing run. They were around for like a good what twelve, fifteen years or something, and without very much uh, you know alteration to the from from the original design and so i would say you know they they're pretty successful and they're still pretty popular to this day and then i i heard that someone bought the molds of the aurora models 
and tried to put it out themselves with the idiotic ad campaign rated X for excitement. I don't, wow, I don't and even remember that. So so parents were going, I can't give my kid a porn model, you know. Yeah, they would see yeah, where it hurt yeah. sales. I, ha- yeah. I had the King Kong. Oh, I did too. You had to paint the little Fay Ray yes. that was in his hand, yeah. and I had the I had the mummy. They weren't glow in the dark at first, right? That wasn't that was a that yeah. was a future edition. That was later, later. Yeah, that was later. Yeah, God, yeah. what and wonderful times! I I always hated though, like in the model, they told you to paint Frankenstein green, and when they make him look green in mm-hmm. posters, because. I think it's the makeup was green, but that was so it would look gray yes. on screen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk. Yeah, I, Go ahead. Yeah, there is a whole, 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 uh, a whole debate on that. You know, should Frankenstein be green? Should Frankenstein be ghostly pale? Should Frankenstein be bluish? You know, reddish? There's uh, everyone ha- has their preference. You know, personally. I, I can understand why people would want their Frankenstein to be green because uh, that's just kind of like the, the, the popular sort of uh, way to present him. But, you know, I think it's more effective if he has more uh, of a, a palish kind of ghostly, palish, greenish, bluish kind of pallor rather than straight green. Yeah. That's how I am. It was always interesting when the Munsters went from black and white to color. Yes. To see what color they were going to be. Yeah. And that Herman was that sort of sickly green. Yeah. Not not gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to ask mm-hmm. you about some of the other toys, because Gilbert, before you came yeah. on with us, Gilbert and I were talking about like the the, the wiggle ick bobbleheads, and we were looking at the pictures in the book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's so much fun. And this is your first book, um, Too Much Horror Business. But to go through those pictures, it's not only just fun to see the stuff, but it it. it it brings back memories that I haven't had, things I haven't thought about yeah. in 30 years. And Gilbert and I were looking at the page where you have all the the Wolfman stuff arranged together. And he's remembering stuff yeah. he had. And, oh, I I have a, a signed postcard of the Wolfman it, where it says Lon Chaney on it. Because in Famous Monsters, they once said, uh, you know, Chaney Jr.'s not feeling well. Here's an address, and I sent him a get well card, and got back a, uh, you know, a little postcard of the Wolfman with his signature on it. That's the most amazing thing! Wow, he yeah. actually that like, cool? replied back. Wow, was it a stamp? How cool or was is it that? His, his actual signature? Uh, no, it was an actual signature. That's very cool. Wow, and you know, I'd like to see that sometime. Oh, anytime. We'll we'll make that happen. If you're going to be in New York anytime soon, we'll make that happen. And I have a friend. Sooner or later. I have a friend who, when he was a kid, he met Boris Karloff. And he he asked him Mm -hmm. for an autograph. And Karloff said he would send him one. And then Karloff died. And the day after he died, the autograph showed up at the kid's house, which... Wow. Is the ideal way to get a Boris Karloff. Yeah, wow. I love that's, that. That's an amazing story. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I, I know this guy who uh, who grew up in, in Beverly Hills, and, and uh, his, his, uh, his father was a famous entertainer, and he was telling me for his 12th year birthday 
uh, he, uh, his parents got him early from school and, uh, and, and said to him, happy birthday. Uh, your present is in the kitchen. And he walked into the kitchen and there sitting at the table was Boris Karloff. Wow. And this oh. kid was a, he was a big monster fan. And so he just went, he, he just lost his mind. That is great. How cool. Wow. Yeah. That is great. How cool well, you, is that? You, you, you've gotten to know Sarah a little bit. We had Sarah on the show, and I know she's in, she's in, uh, she's worked with you in your festival. Yeah. Sarah, she's such a, a lovely, lovely, lovely lady. Yeah, we love her. And, uh, She's so sweet and just so nice to be with. And and the great thing is that she's she's very patient when you ask her a million questions about her father. Yes. She's like really <laughs> open and, and, and willing. And I love that about her. She is. I love when sure. she, we had her on the show and I love that she described Halloween and Christmas as her dad's busy season <laughs> because yeah. of the Grinch. Yeah. I just want to say, too, before yeah. we move on from this, and that, that book, and we'll plug it again at the end, Kirk, and uh, our fans, uh, you know, the people that listen to this show are obsessed about the same stuff we're obsessed uh, with. Oh, well, we had on, because I was demanding to have her on the show. Oh, he'll love this. Uh, Janet and Gallo. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, he knows who she is. <laughs> you don't even have to tell him. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, we dug her yeah, up. We I found did. her. The little girl. Well, you know, from, I, I'm going to have to like find that episode. <laughs> yeah, the little girl from Ghost of Frankenstein. We'll, we'll put you in touch. She's quite chatty. Wow. We had we had uh, Ron Chaney wow. here. We had Lon Chaney's grandson, Lon Chaney Jr.'s grandson, and yep. we had yeah. uh, we had Vincent Price's daughter, Victoria, and Bela Jr. And we had Bela Jr., who obviously you also know. Wow. Tell Gilbert, and this I, before we jump, we jump ahead. I just want to say this book with these wonderful toys, the Fright Factory Thing Maker. I mean, the stuff that was bringing back the memories for me. So we want our listeners to find your book, um, Too Much Horror Business, the Great Garlu, which Gilbert and I remember the Mark, oh yes, the Marks toy and the and the squirt guns. Yeah. But but one thing I do want to mention is you had those outer space man color form figures, which I've been looking yeah. for my whole color life. Form aliens. <laughs> The color form aliens. I, you know, I told my wife. She said, "This can't even be real. You, you must have dreamt them." And we went on eBay, and there they were, almost impossible to find in the original packaging. You found them. Yeah, I got those uh, pre-internet, and uh, before the internet, you were able to like just kind of like network and track stuff down, and then. I would say, and I call this the golden age of the uh, of, of 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 the internet. Well, between 1998 and like 2001, it seems like everyone just wanted to just empty out their attics on eBay because there was so so much great stuff that just became available in that three year period on eBay. Stuff that didn't, no one even knew what was worth. Interesting. Like you could get deals, really. And I got a few of those color form figures from eBay, but the ones that are in the, the package, I got those pre-internet and those are pretty hard to find. Very but hard I to had find. All of those, I had all of those as a kid and yeah, they got destroyed as well. They all got burnt up. They he burnt burned them really up. Well. <laughs> I would kill to get my hands on them. You know what I'm talking about, Gilbert? The color no. forms, they were men oh. from each different planet. Yes, there was yes. A ve the Venus had yes. plastic wings yeah. in his back. I and do there was a, remember that a one. A squid man, octopus kind of deal from yes. Neptune. And mm -hmm. just wonderful. Yes. The little Mar the, the Mars guy was a little green man. They Those, those uh, boy, I those, those really bring back special memories. I remember with the Aurora, 
uh, in the instructions, it said, for best results, use Aurora glue. And I remember as a kid, I said, oh, yeah. Even then, I knew that was bullshit. <laughs> and an advertisement. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> Like yeah. their glue is yeah. different than the others. Well, also, you were an insider because your dad sold models in his hardware store. Oh, oh, well, this is it. He sold one model. Uh, back then, snorting glue became the, all the rage with the kids. So a law was passed. Yeah, I remember. That, yeah, you couldn't buy glue unless you were buying a model. And so my father, he worked in a hardware He He owned a hardware store. He had a little crappy airplane model. And every day, kids would come in. He'd sell them the airplane model and, and glue. And then he'd count to five, go outside, and in the trash would be the airplane model. And he'd take it in and he... He re he sold that one model like about a hundred times. <laughs> wow, amazing! Yeah, yeah. I I remember th I remember that time, and I remember my mom saying, you know, you know, there's all these kids out there that are, that are sniffing this glue. You're not doing any of that, Kirk. I'm like thinking, why would I want to smell this stuff? It already smells so bad already. Yeah. <laughs> why would I want? Why would I want more of it? <laughs> <laughs> and you you grew up in a drug culture. You grew up in in uh, in San Francisco, the San Francisco area, and everybody was doing yeah, something. And let me and let me tell you, you know, the one thing that people forget about the whole hippie thing, you know, they remember the long hair, they remember the tie dye stuff, they remember the free mm -hmm. love, you know, they remember the women not wearing you know bras. But what they don't recall about the whole hippie thing is none of them wore shoes. None of them. As a child, I would see hippies everywhere. They were all barefoot. And it drove me crazy because, you know, even as a kid, I had a thing about clean feet. All these hippies <laughs> had the dirtiest feet all the time. And like, oh, I wasn't having any of it. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting part of your bio and your history that you, you escaped to the comic book store to get away from your parents' hippie friends. Yeah, they're everywhere. Really. <laughs> yeah. I I could remember my brother bringing me to a Grateful Dead free concert in, in Golden Gate Park and I remember looking around seeing a lot of people with their faces painted, you know, with flowers and mm -hmm. and you know, animals and just thinking I want to be at that comic book store reading Monster <laughs> magazines right now. <laughs> <laughs> we got a question later about the comic book store that a, that a uh, that a, a listener sent in, and and now we'll ask you about it. they make the models somewhere along the way. They changed it where they make the models now, where it's for specific uh, movies, like like the Wolfman model is different than the Frankenstein meets the Wolf. I didn't even Man know model. they were still making them. Yeah, I've I've seen it in these hobby shops where you look well there's a there's a lot of people yeah a lot of independent people who who make just about every sort of universal character that's out there yeah yeah it's like you look at the frankenstein and you go okay that's a karloff that's a cheney that's the lugosi one 
they mold the face. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great. I mean, you know, nowadays people are are so wrapped up in the the individual you know characters and all the details that you know it just makes for a better product, and I love it. There's a I still buy monster models to this day, resin kits. I don't have the time to, to put them together. I hire someone else, but you know, once I get that finished kit, it goes up on my shelf, and I'm loving. That's it. That's so cool. But don't you and don't you wish they still published the Monster Times? And 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 Fari Ackerman's yes. magazine, all that stuff, you know. Wouldn't it be a better world? Oh, you know, absolutely. I I loved the Monster Times, and I loved that it was in a newspaper. Oh format. yeah. Now you must yeah. have visited Ackerman. Yeah, did you go to the Ackerman? Yes. Uh, yeah, I went to the Acker, uh, Acker Mansion a few times. You know, I I, I had a, a a little bit of a, a relationship with Forey. He knew me as you know the musician guy who was always asking him about his his painting and his and his artwork because you know I I, I love the 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 uh, the magazine covers and I have the original paintings to a number of a, a number of them and oh the go go stuff. I, yeah, the Gogo's paintings, and yeah. that all started by just going over to the Acker Mansion and just kind of like you know, hearing that that Forey needed money, and just kind of innocently saying, you know, hey Forey, do you want to sell that that that, uh, that painting up right there, you know, Famous Monsters number twenty one, and him saying, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> let me think about that. <laughs> A hundred thousand dollars, Kirk. I'm like, what? He goes, ha ha ha. I'll take it for two grand, or you can have it for two grand. I'm like, I'll take it for two grand. Wow. Which was back in the '80s, kind of like, you know, relatively, you know, large amount of money for like 1988, 1989 for for a piece of original art. That was when the original art market for that kind of stuff wasn't even like even developed yet. Yeah. How much is it worth now? I, you know, I, I have no idea because you know, uh, uh, those Gogos paintings, when they come into my, uh, my my collection, I hang on to them and I don't let them go. And you yeah. know, I I just think that they're just like the ultimate and they're an important part of the collection because Basil Gogos, as a standalone artist, I thought was brilliant. And we just because, lost just know, lost him a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Then wasn't but, I mean, there that other artist? I think Franzetta. Oh, Frank Frazetta. Yeah, Frank, yeah, 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 yeah. He was just like he's gone to too. Me, you know, yeah. He's Frank Frazetta. He's like Norman Rockwell to me. He's the <laughs> uh, the anti Norman Rockwell, which I just love about him. But uh, yeah, you know, my the the Gogos paintings and, and the, the the famous monsters uh, uh, paintings that I have are real important to me because it puts, you know, it, it puts that, that aspect of it, you know, Basil Gogos's personal vision. It, it shines a light on that, which I, you know, is I think important. The overall, you know, uh, 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 horror fandom, you know, horror genre. He, his artwork was what attracted me to famous monsters as a kid. You know, those outrageous covers sure. that just jumped out at you. And they're just so striking. And to see those paintings in person, they're just that much more striking. I've never seen one so, in person. Have you, Gil? Those, no. those Go-Go's paintings, the covers, no. the old covers? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, my, uh, my, uh, the, uh, you have to see, you have to come see the collection uh, we, uh, on the, in the next museum opening. It will be a, there'll be a new opening that's coming soon. I can't really talk about it, but okay. it will, it'll, it'll be actually close to you guys. Oh really? Closer East coast. Guys. Yeah. Good. We'll make a, East we'll make coast. a, pilgr- oh, I would love we'll to make see a pilgrimage it. Kirk. Cause, yeah. cause, and you just have to see these paintings. Cause the, the, if you're into famous monsters of film, man, they'll just knock you out. And you know, Basil Gokos's process was amazing because a lot of the times he was just working from black and white stills and you look at these paintings and they're just like in full livid color. Yeah, and, and can't wait to like see them. Striking did, color. Did he work in acrylics or are they oils? Uh, I, I, I believe that, you know, I believe they worked at both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of his later uh, paintings have a lot of texture to it. I see. So I, uh, I, I want to say, acrylic but you know a lot of his earlier stuff doesn't have as much texture so maybe it was watercolor we'd love i'd love to see those live Oh, absolutely since you brought up lugosi gilbert and i were just talking about white zombie first of all you, you'll also have to tell us how you acquired those unless it's a secret how those two the, the two costumes came into your possession and just to reiterate for our listeners you have bela's costume from white zombie and where he was the, the evil voodoo master and you, which Gilbert and I, a movie yeah. Gilbert and I were just talking about. That is a very disturbing film. Uh, but you also have uh, Karloff's costume from The Black Cat. I was able to to acquire the belt of both pieces in auction. Uh, but what really, really just kind of surprised me was just one day I was just, I was just paging through this one auction catalog and just right in the, in the corner with like very little fanfare, it just mentioned, you know, the, the, the Boris Karloff's outfit for the black cat. And I, I, when I read that, I was like, what? Is it, this can't be. I mean, that movie was made over 80 years ago. And I looked at the outfit and I got a magnifying glass out and looked at the buttons. And then I got a still from the black cat with the costume in question i got a microphone or a microscope out or a magnifying glass i mean and i looked at the buttons and the buttons matched up (laughs) wow Wow. and so i thought to myself wow this is the real deal and i can't believe it and i made it my my goal to acquire it and i did and how wild uh, yeah the black cat is probably in my top three uh, universal horror movies. It's so. I love Frankenstein. I love Dracula. Yeah, the black cat. The black cat's the black an, cat. on another planet. It's surreal. It really is. We recommend it all the time to our listeners, it, and we will again. It's it, amazing. It's like usually the Universal monsters were in an old castle or something, an old. And in the black cat, it's all like Art Deco. Yeah. It's yeah, very strange. And, and not only that, there's a there's a there's an overabundance of psychological uh, stuff. Yes. Yo, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this pedophilia is touched upon. Uh, yeah. uh, Satanism, uh, necrophilia, a yeah. lot of Incest. weird things. It's pre code. Yeah. It must be a pre code movie for the, for them to have gotten all that stuff in there. Yes, it is. Yeah. And and what's yeah. funny is usually my big complaint with movies is I'm constantly seeing a scene and something 
where I go, oh, that makes no sense, or they wouldn't, people wouldn't react that way. The black cat makes zero sense. <laughs> you don't mind from it. From beginning to end. <laughs> right. And I don't care. I, I love the fact it's, that it's insane. It's wonderful. And it's so atmospheric. Yeah. For as insane as it is, it also has a weird sense of realism to it. You know, it's it's crazy and and black and, comedy. Yeah, yeah. And, and and for me, Karloff is just so great. The way he looks, you know, the way he speaks, his yeah, all his mannerisms. I mean, you know that 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 his character was based after Aleister Crowley. And uh, there, uh, the the I necklace didn't, didn't that he that. wears uh, around his neck is a kind of a, a variation of Aleister Crowley's signature. Interesting so trivia. At, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I I love that that aspect about it because you know no one was making films with that sort of content back. No, then. films about Satanism. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I. I, you know, in, in in my mind, sometimes you know, I I wonder what it would be like to remake that mon- movie, but not change the script at all, just modernize it, just you know, and basically have the same storyline. It would be incredible. By Karloff's bed, there's a digital clock. I never noticed yeah. that. Yeah, yes, That's there so is. So interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep. you know, and White Zombie, by the way, and Gilbert and I were talking about it, uh, not as kinky a movie as, yeah. as The Black Cat, but really uns- unsettling and weird in its own way. And every time I see those zombie workers in the sugar mill, it's mm-hmm. so yes. disturbing. Oh, yeah. It's so terrifying. It's like the granddaddy yeah. of the zombie film. Yes, and he's great. And, I, and I, I didn't know this until I started doing the research on you, Kirk. I didn't know that Jack Pierce did Lugosi's makeup. Yeah, he did. For, yeah, for that absolutely. movie. Yeah, and, and some of the sets are, are, are the uh, Dracula sets as well. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing about, about White Zombie is the silence. Yes, a, yes. <laughs> There, there are moments when it was just, it's just so quiet, but it's just so heavy, heavy in atmosphere and vibe. And I just love that. It's the kind of co- character you want Lugosi to play. Yes. Just, just a guy with Absolutely. no soul, no morality, no, no moral center whatsoever. <laughs> he's a human, yeah. he's a human monster. Yeah. Just dark and just foreboding and just like, you know, not afraid of any sort of like consequence at all, at all and, yeah. and just and the name itself murder legendar yeah it's great and then the black hat has its tongue in its cheek a little bit yeah. it's got a little bit of a oh, sense yeah. of humor but white zombie is as serious as a heart attack that he yeah, he's absolutely. just a creep but i heard <laughs> yes. lagosi was not happy with white zombie or maybe yeah. he interesting yeah, that's what i heard that's what i heard too i heard he wasn't uh, I guess what had happened was it was made by these two brothers, the Halpern brothers. And I think at one point he wasn't uh, satisfied with maybe the dialogue or something. That's what I had heard. But I mean, you know, in that movie, every bit of dialogue that he speaks, it's just so effective. So I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, you know, every time he speaks, you're like hanging on every word. I wonder so why great. he wasn't happy with it. Yeah, I never it comes I, off. He comes off rather well in it. Absolutely, I think absolutely. And and 
Oh, I remember in The Black Cat, there's uh, one part where uh, a bag is falling from the overhead compartment on the train, and the girl screams, and they say something like, oh, I thought I'd be crushed. Oh, no, no, she goes, oh, I, I was frightened. And Lugosi goes, better to be frightened than crushed. <laughs> I always love when he throws the scissors yeah, off camera. Yes. And you hear the cat. Yes, you hear they the, stab a cat. Oh, yes, that's right. That's a cat. It's, so, it's such a sick movie. Yeah. And, and also Lugosi, where he really, and people forget this, because they always say, oh, well, he could only play Dracula. As when he was Igor, it was totally different than anything he had ever done. And he's good again. Yeah. 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 You know, I I have to say, you know, that when he played Igor, for me, it, it kind of, you know, it was as emphatic as, you know, playing the Frankenstein monster. I mean, he, yeah. he owned it. I mean, yeah. I, I really, you know, I really felt sympathy for for Igor. And what really killed me was the the scene where he's playing the flute, and you know, all of a sudden the monster what comes. I mean, how 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 touching is that? Yes. Oh I yeah, mean, it's a yeah. touching moment. Yeah, he f- really, he finds really. those moments in that one. And Lugosi finds the comedy in Igor. There's like yeah, some parts yeah. that are just really funny the way he delivers the lines. Well, I just love it when when they said, "Oh, they tried to hang Igor, but they failed." Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. they hang they me. Showed the, the big broken neck. <laughs> they hang me because I rob graves. They yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You hit it. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Two two other movies that I found in the research that you like that are near and dear to to our hearts are the incredible two headed transplant. And oh the, the, yes, the, the thing with two heads. I love them, which we're very fond of. Oh, how great is Bruce Dern? We how had him on. We had him on the show. We had him here. We asked him oh, about I it. Love it. Yeah, he has a great uh, sense yeah. of humor about it. He's how terrific. great is Rosie Greer? And Ray 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 Maland. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a genre that came and went. (laughs) Two heads on a body was a genre. It was so obvious, too, (laughs) that Ray Maland is just resting his chin on Rosie Greer's shoulder. (laughs) And that's the two headed monster. (laughs) It seemed like a good idea at the time. The white bigot was dying, and the black soul brother needed time to prove his innocence. More power to you, brother. I want to transplant my head on a healthy body. I think I like to donate my body to science after all. So they transplanted the white head onto the black body. Who would have suspected that neither would care for the idea too much? What are you guys doing to me? Shut up. Where's the rest of you? We are joined together temporarily. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when they were filming that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're both they're both good. 
Casey yeah. Kasem's in, uh, I think Casey Kasem's in the thing with two heads. Yep. Yeah, that's he, right. He, he is. Oh, he, he shows up. And in then that. the Rosie Greer Ray Milan monster uh, escapes the police on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Kirk, real quick, I got a couple of questions from fans. We do this thing called okay. Grill the Guest. Sure. And these these are quick questions. Um, uh, Bjorn Nesheim, uh, he says, you used to, Kirk used to hang out at the first all-comic book store in the United States, which was the San Francisco Comic Book Company. Uh, does he have yes. a story about the late owner, Gary Arlington? Yeah, one time, I, I, uh, I, uh, something happened. I had like a, um, uh, I, I don't know, I... I, I I guess I didn't eat breakfast one day and I was looking at some comic books and just like literally just like passed out and knocked over a whole stack of comic books. And cuz you were cuz you weren't eating your lunch, you were spending your lunch money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> On Erie. It was it was connected, yeah. And uh the next thing I knew, I woke up and I was at at San, uh, at uh, St. Luke's Hospital in San Francisco in like in, in like uh, in the emergency ward on a bed and there was Gary right next to me and I looked at him and I said I said what happened he he said you passed out you knocked over a big old stack of old comic books that we had just bought and and we, we we thought you were like dying on us, so I rushed you. I, I got you in my Volkswagen, and I drove you over to the hospital. And here we are now. And I looked at him, and I thought, "Wow, you're just kind of like." I thought to myself, "Wow, you're just like my dad, but even cooler." <laughs> That's a nice story. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice story about him. We lost Gary and, too uh, recently. And, and the best part about it is that. You know, I was always there. He had some comic books for me to look at. He's like, like here, hey, here. These just came in. I was like, really? You actually gave nice. me some comic books to read? It was amazing. Gil, where did you buy your comic books? Locally? Oh, yeah. In Brooklyn? Yeah, but, well, they were, the comic books you could buy anywhere. There was no comic book bet. store yeah. in those days. They yeah. were like... Yeah, yeah, there were like magazine stands, drug stores. You know, the old comic anywhere. rack in the drug store. Candy stores. Yeah, the circular yeah. rack. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And what, what, when, when I was at Gary's store often, I could remember seeing a whole range of, of, of characters going through there. But, you know, the one I, I remember the most was Robert Crumb. Because, oh, you met you Robert know, Crumb. That's well, right. Well, you know, I kind of like, I, I just kind of like stayed out of his way because, you know, for me, I, I, I wore glasses as a, as, a, as a kid, but his glasses just took the cake and his glasses were so thick. And like, you know, that that's what made me really remember him was his glasses and the way he spoke. And I like, and I knew that he was an underground artist. And so I just, I stayed out of his way because he was a little intimidating for me as, you know, a little kid. Yeah, a legend, but, sure. You know, yeah. But he, he, he came into the store quite a lot. Him and Gary were very close. And I remember a newsstands would have comic books yeah. and monster magazines. And also, yes. you know what I love about the old posters? Yeah, let's talk about the poster book. Is that, well, like, there's, it it conquered the earth, which is a crappy movie with the phoniest looking monster ever. Is that with Beulah? Oh, it conquered oh, the world. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Conquered the world. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And, of course, mm. they always had these lines in it. First, there's a sexy girl lying there in a nightgown, 
that she probably never wore in the movie and that shows a lot of skin. And the uh, the blurb is, it made men prisoners and women slaves. So everything was sex. You know, they show a monster and nothing could control its desires. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, all those posters, uh, you know, that it seems like in the 50s, the women were either in like bathing suits or slips. It's really, yes, really there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in the, the Cold War stuff. Yeah, but those yeah. I have to and tell you the Universal. Did you mark the Gilbert marked the book? Those Universal posters, the French and the Argentinian, are they the Frankenstein posters? Those are fascinating. Oh, are they the the yes. only ones of their kind left? Amazing. Yeah, those are the only known examples that have survived. The double double panel, are they called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, World War Two did a, a real number on, uh, on on movie posters, both here in the United States and obviously in Europe. But in in the United States, when the war effort was going, they had these things called paper drives, which was basically you know people driving through town and recycling paper, and those recycling trucks would stop at the movie poster exchanges, which were where all, a, a lot of these posters would, would uh, live. It was like they were like poster libraries. And the poster exchanges would just come out with huge stacks and just throw them onto the, the paper trucks and drive off with them. And so that's why there isn't a large amount of movie posters that have survived. And so, you know, a lot of these posters, they're, they're, they're the only ones that have been, that have been discovered and, sure. and, and found. And so the French double panels are, are pretty unique in that, you know, one, they're, 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 they're pre-World War II and, and they, they have managed to survive all this time. And, you know, two, you know, people didn't really ever think about hanging on to this stuff in the first place. So, I mean, just... Just the fact that it just didn't get thrown into the into the trash is just a, a remarkable thing. Yeah, I'm so going to show Gilbert. I have always, the book. Uh, and gonna... this is the reason I don't like Hitler. That's one reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. He, he really put a, a, a damper on German cinema. I mean, they were they were doing really good with Nosferatu and Metropolis and you know Cabinet Dr. Caligari. Oh yeah, they all had to get out of the country. Yeah, you know. They, well, he, it, it's funny. In the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, they they offered both of them a chance to live comfortably in Germany if they'd make propaganda films for the Nazis. And so yes, Werner Cross, yeah. he decided to stay in Germany and make uh, right, propaganda. Yeah. Uh, Conrad Veidt, uh, escaped to America and yep. where he mm-hmm. was most famous playing the German officer in Casablanca. He was very mm-hmm. anti-Nazi. Yes. So was Karl Freund. Karl Freund yes. was uh, oh, also yeah. kicked out of Germany and he worked on The mu- the Mummy and and, uh, and, Dracula. and Edgar Ulmer too. Edgar Ulmer. Edgar, yeah, yeah, who did The Black Cat. Carl yeah. Freund later in his career wound up being the director of photography on I Love Lucy. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> from and, from the mummy yeah, and uh, to I Love Lucy, because they had to work. And Jack Pierce was the makeup artist in Mister Ed. That's right. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. At the, wow. yeah toward the end, yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is, these are the well, ones we were talking about, the Argentinian yeah. poster. These and the, are great. the French poster, James Whale's name is misspelled on the French poster, which I guess increases the adds to the value of it. Well, it was a, a later edition. If you look at that poster, the original director, Robert Flory, who actually wanted Bela Lugosi to play the monster, mm-hmm. he gets a credit on, on that poster. Yes. But what had happened is Carl Lemley, uh, for some reason or another, I can't remember, wanted James Whale on the project. And so Robert Flory got replaced by James Whale. And Good. James Whale was the one who saw Boris Karloff eating in the... In, in the Universal cafeteria and said, "You're the guy to play the monster." But uh, you know, and history it, history was made. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, you know the the the, uh, the French p- double panel posters. Uh, I I like a lot because you know Beautiful. graphically they kind of have a different perspective than than a lot of the American posters. You know, it's just kind of like. Um, they just look kind of like, you know, I don't know, more colloquial. Was one of the Frankenstein posters found in an abandoned movie house in Canada? Do I have that right? In a in a, in a, yeah, in a see, projection a, room? Yeah, it, it was a walled off project, projection booth. And uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, I guess, a projection booth that, 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 that people knew were there, but I guess they they just there was no reason for them to like tear down the wall or look inside this this empty room until just recently someone tore down the wall, stepped inside, and on right there on the wall was a Frankenstein three sheet. <laughs> Amazing! And, um, Amazing! How incredible is that? I mean, I wish I wish something like that would happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Gilbert it's 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 fascinating and and equally fascinating is the story of the, of of where the mummy poster turned up when the guy was remodeling his yeah. house. Uh, yeah, you know, there's there, it's amazing because I have movie posters that have been found in New Zealand, in Iran, uh in Sweden, just all over the place and these are American posters. Um, the the American issue. Um, I have a, a whole slew of half sheets that were were found underneath a floor in, in New Zealand. It's fascinating. Um, my yeah, the mummy three sheet that I have uh, was found in Sweden of all places, and that's that's just strange to me because Sweden had their their own movie poster uh, production house. They printed and, and designed their own movie posters. And I've seen the movie, the original movie, Swedish movie poster to the mummy. So for Sweden to have an American poster and a three sheet, it's just kind of like, it almost seems like a mistake, you know, like they got sent this poster by accident and they kind of like threw it in a corner and just forgot about it until it was found, you know, decades later. And, you know, and I, I managed to acquire it, but uh, it's, it's crazy because, um, this stuff, it's just, you never know where it's going to come from. Well, one of the sad things I was saying to Gilbert, too, is a lot of times in those days, you, the, the artists didn't sign their work, and, and they were anonymous. You didn't know, yeah. in some cases, in some cases you do, but in some cases, in many cases, nobody knew who was painting these things. Just yeah, just studio me, artists, you know, grunts, people who were grinding out a check. Yeah, yeah, and to me, it's just a... 
it's it's a real shame, you know, because these people they had had no idea just, uh, just how 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 much their artwork meant to people. You know, I had I, I have a feeling that you know there were just it was just another gig for them. You know, uh, just like you know, break it out, make get it done, and move on to the next thing. I got to ask you a music question, Kirk. You said anybody who plays or listens to heavy metal music understands horror films because it's the same shade yeah, of dark and light. Yeah, it's, it's the same same elements. It's the same group of emotions. You know, it's the same sort of dy- emotional dynamics. Uh, you know, it's 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 the building of t- uh, of tension and releasing it. It's you know, it's the the, the energy that 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 that's. That that you feel that's you know uh, maybe at the same sort of uh, a pulse as a racing heart, you know. When you went into audition for Metallica, the ba- the the bass player was reading a Lovecraft story, and you and you you had an instant connection. You said these guys, I'm simpatico with yes, these guys. Uh, yeah, I remember when I, I I flew out to to audition for Metallica. Uh, I remember arriving. Um, uh, you know, shaking hands with the guys, going into the room and playing music for two or three hours, and then coming out going, "Wow, did, wow that was kind of a uh, mind blowing." And then just kind of taking a moment and sitting down and looking around, and then seeing Cliff Burton with his uh, his uh, his head in a, a Call of Cthulhu Dungeons and Dragons uh, rule book, <laughs> I instantly said, "Hey." I have that book. I know that game, Call of Cthulhu. And he looked at me and said, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, man. And I said, yeah, I know H.P. Lovecraft. I love him. And he goes, I do too. And then he said, said, I love zombies. And I said, I do too. Whole day, uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, sort of like a uh, tribute. And... I, I I knew I had found a kindred soul. You knew you belonged with that group. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a and, uh, that's a great story. I got just one more yeah. question about Metallica. This is from my sis, my sister in law's boyfriend. Begged me to ask this. Can you recall? He loves okay. Injustice for All. This is from Brendan Brown. Can you recall any of the thought okay. process? And this is you. I, this is a tough, uh, probably something that needs a long answer. But maybe you can give me a short one. Any of the thought process that led that led to the sound the special sounds on Injustice for All because the record redefined metal recording <laughs> like, in his opinion. Uh, um, special in quotation marks. You know, it's really funny because uh, when we were re- recording that album, uh, uh, James, uh, or the guitar player, went for a very unique sort of, of, of guitar sound and you know uh, Lars wanted uh, 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 his drums to sound like very dry and upfront as well and you know those two unique sounds put together created a, a sort of tonal palette where that uh, it, when you added more bass frequencies it, it just kind of muddied up the, uh, uh, the, the, the mix and so as a result of that you can't really hear our bass player very much uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, as that album, uh, you know, turned out the way it turned out, you know, we, we we thought we made a really kind of like you know, unique and different album that sounded nothing like the our previous, you know, th- our previous three albums, and you know, unbeknownst to us, um, 
you know, I guess that uh, that uh, people have used the sound of that album as a template for their own albums. And I didn't even realize this until someone brought it up to my attention only about 10 or 15 years ago. You know, I, we just thought that it, we just looked at it as kind of like a sonic, sonic experiment to try for one album, you know, but it wasn't anything that we were going to hang our hats on for the next, you know, uh, two or three decades. It was more uh, kind of like a, a place where, where our heads were at sonically. And mm-hmm. as a result of it, a lot of people really like the, the way that album sounds. You know, I, th- in retrospect, I, I, I admire, you know, I admire our um, audacity <laughs> at trying something so different. But you know, our next album kind of uh, 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 filled in for what. Uh, uh, Oh, we were missing from Injustice for All. I see, and so I'll just put it. I'll just put it that. That's way. interesting. But um, yeah. But you know, a lot of like I said, a lot of people really, really uh, are attracted to the sound of that album, and it there's there's nothing really. Uh, uh, it's not a warm sounding album. It's really upfront and in your face, and it's hard to get away from when you listen to it loud. Well, he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> love that answer. Like that. He's gonna love that answer. And I have to say, Enter Sandman is is a is a piece of work that that sounds very much like it was written by people who embrace horror, who under who understand it. Yeah. 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 Or the, just uh, let's just say the darker side of life. Yes. Yes. Very. <laughs> That's more more I- inclusive. Very very much so. Gil, you want to ask him about Dwight Fry? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Who died young on a bus. One of the all-time greats. Yeah, yeah I think. and and I think On a bus? He died on a bus. He had a heart attack. I, <sighs> I think they had it listed in the paper as toolmaker Dwight Fry. They didn't even wow. have him, like, as an actor. And he, it, it was mm-hmm. so funny. He started out big, like Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula. Yep. And then yeah. he started just popping up, like in the horror sequels, like he'd be like one of the villagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so like an extra or something. Yeah. It's yeah. a strange short career he had. Yeah. And I heard yeah. he was supposed to be. A very skilled song and dance man. I didn't know that. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, I, I heard that he came out of theater and Broadway. I got to look that up. He did that whole 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 circuit, and then uh, and then yeah, it just became an actor. But you know, you're right. I mean, when I think about Dwight Fry, I can't really think about. I can't really like think of any movies past like 1936, 1937 no. that he was in. No. Maybe it wasn't he in like some monogram stuff. Maybe like the vampire bat. He, or something? he may have. Yeah. I, I can't picture Renfield breaking into song. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, you know, he would for me. He was a large part of of that movie Dracula. Oh, yeah. I mean, his portrayal of Renfield was brilliant, and you know the scene I'm talking about when he is discovered on the ship, and he's glaring uh, up uh, at the people. Uh, uh, brilliant, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. 
All right, yeah. Kirk. In the in the time we have left, we're going to give you one wild card. You, uh, these are these are three movies we've talked about on the sh- on this show, and we'd love you to comment mm-hmm. about them. And you could pick one or or comment on okay. all three: The Tingler, Freaks, or uh-huh. Island of Lost Souls. Uh-huh. How about all three? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I I remember when I, I first saw the Tingler on on television, and I was just so disappointed that I wasn't seeing it in a movie theater with that tingling sensation because I'd read <laughs> oh, all the, about it. Oh right, with the wired monsters. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and when I actually had had, had seen it, you know, I was just like, I was just thinking, wow. I wish I would have been in the theater and actually have experienced it the way that they, you know, the makers wanted the viewer to experience it. But you know what's interesting about the t- the Tingler is they mentioned LSD in it by Surgical. That's by, correct. You know, oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and by yeah, the and, way, by yeah, the way, Bob and, Burns was one of those guys wiring those seats. Oh wow. Which he told us. Oh really? They were they wow. were airplane motors. So, the things that made the, oh, the that made wow. the chairs vibrate. Wow, amazing! And and so yeah, you know they're, talk, they're they're talking about LSD. So I'm just wondering, could it be like you know some weird like you know MK Ultra, uh, you know uh, 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 propaganda <laughs> sort of like weird kind of like drug CIA FBI thing that was connected to this movie? Probably not. And and of course the greatest scene, uh, they're in a movie theater, and the yes. picture goes out. <laughs> And Vincent Price uh, frantically yes. informs the audience, scream, scream for your lives. Yes. The tingler yes. is loose in the theater. <laughs> scream yeah. for your lives. And then it immediately goes to, we now resume our film. <laughs> yes. Did you ever hear a better Vincent yeah. Price than that, Kirk? <laughs> that, that's that's really good. That's really great. Actually, real quick, give us something on Island of Lost Souls, which Gilbert loves. Well, yeah, um, I love when when Bela Lugosi's uh, screaming about the ha- House of Pain and Are We Not Men? Yes, and you know it's creepy. And, and whenever he screams, Are We Not Men? These days, I want to scream back, no, we are Devo, D-E-V-O. <laughs> yeah, That's right, they goes, co-opted that. Yes, the house of pain. They made us in the house of pain. Not men, not beasts, things. <laughs> That's perfect. Wow. That's that's really, really great. You have it down. Doesn't he have it down? <laughs> and, yeah. And, you know, I really believe, uh, again, you know, Lugosi steals that film. Oh, he for does. For myself. He does. He yeah. does. And what yeah. is the law? Not to yes. spill blood. That is the law. And, and I heard that, yeah. uh, I think Charles Lawton uh, based his performance of the mad doctor on his dentist. I've heard that too. Yeah. That's oh, just, really? That's weird. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm glad that that dentist is probably not around anymore. Let, 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 and freaks. Yeah. Well, yeah. What you give us one, one comment or one insight on freaks. Well, you know that one. That, that one of the last scenes when uh, when they're uh, when all the freaks are out and it's raining and you know oh, it's God, rainier. Yeah. 
is is uh, is doing his hobble. You know, that's the guy without the arms and legs. Yeah, he's hobbling from side to side with a razor in his mouth. Oh my god, that was just like the ultimate for me. That movie's that ahead of its right time. There. Don't you think? Oh yeah, Maybe the audiences weren't ready for that. Oh, yes. for, for that kind of subject matter. Absolutely not. And I remember, I yeah, that was one of the movies I picked when I was on with Robert Osborne. That's right. And mm-hmm. it it's one of those movies where even if there's not a scary thing happening, you're still a little scared. It has you on edge yes. the whole time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just in constant Marvel anytime any of the, the freak characters came on screen. I mean, it's just like, you know. I was just, just like just blown away by the the fact that you know, those those are those are real people and they're not yes. really even acting. No. <laughs> and and oh the the ending number one they make the woman into a half chicken. Yeah. And I yeah. heard that was a chicken suit that Lon Chaney Senior built. Wow. He was planning a movie. Good trivia. And and yeah. the what. They cut out of the movie was that the strong man uh, at the end is singing soprano. So it means that the freaks castrated him. Wow. Wow. I wonder if that that footage still exists. It might. That Mm. that to me. Wow. I I was glad they didn't keep that in because I want the freaks to be a little sympathetic a little bit and if they yeah. cut a guy's dick off i <laughs> i can't really root for them <laughs> that's crossing a line for you <laughs> yeah so yeah. we'll tell our listeners uh, to check out the black cat white zombie freaks and an island of lost souls if they haven't by now 200 and, 200 and the wolf man and of course the wolf man 200 episodes in by the way he does a great and, maria uspenskaya and though you can't forget the, uh, the thing with two heads. And the and, thing uh, with the two heads. Two oh, that's right. <laughs> the incredible yeah. two-headed Maria Spinskaya, I was the only kid who could imitate. <laughs> Listen to this, Kurt. Uh, yeah, yes. She was She was amazing, by the way. Yes. The way you walk is thorny through no fault of your own. But as the rain enters the soil, the river enters the stream so tears go on to a predestined end find peace for a moment my son <laughs> look wow. I wish our listeners wow. could see the look on Kirk's face <laughs> I'm just thinking you know if I would have known you Gilbert as a kid I, you know I, I think we would have probably been inseparable <laughs> 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 Did you did you really want to know another kid who was doing Maria Ospenskaya impressions? <laughs> well, I, I I would just let me just go on, on to say that you know uh, I, I as a kid and I, I'm I'm sure that you know all those horror fans could relate. I spent so much time imitating Frankenstein, the Mummy, Dracula, the or the Wolfman. You know who didn't get the get the A's bandages and start wrapping their oh, hands? Yeah. In their oh yeah, oh yes. You know, and start I mean, dragging was, your foot behind you. It, yeah, yeah, and, and so I mean, I just yeah. Well, I wish you guys had known each other as kids. But that's one yeah, of the great yeah. things about this show, Kirk, is that we get to meet the other monster kids. We get to identify them. Yeah. 
and 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 bring them in. So any anything to plug? What's coming up? You guys are on tour. Well, well, I I just want to say that you know I I left out something about you know the black cat costume is that once I finally did did acquire it, the first thing I did was put it on. And it actually fit me. <laughs> wow. I around the house. That's cool. For like an hour, just pretending I was Boris Karloff in the black cat. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Wow. How did it fit? It actually fit me, which, <laughs> uh, which was, was crazy because, you know, I, I, I'm 5'7". I'm I know Karloff was like maybe 5'10", 5'11". But I, you know, I always knew that he, he was a slim guy too. And so, you know, I was able to like put it on and walk around without, uh, you know, busting any seams or anything like that. So I was happy. So if we, really if we make a pilgrimage out to the house, you're going to let Gilbert try on the, uh, the, the Karloff costume, the black hat? I'll break out. I'll break out the tape measure and measure his waist really quick to make sure that it's compatible. <laughs> and then well, we'll let go me, for there. Let me plug the books. Uh, the too much horror business, okay. which is fantastic. Uh, you will lose days looking at it. It's on Amazon. It's also it's in bookstores. Please patronize bookstores. Uh, also, uh, it's alive, which we yes. have here: classic horror and sci-fi movie posters from the Kirk Hammett collection which Gilbert is absolutely fascinated by. Oh, yes. And I'm going to let him take it home and play with it. And what's I go- beg your pardon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I usually go home and play with it. What, what What's yeah. going on with the, with touring the exhibit and, and, and your yearly festival and anything else you want to put out there? Well, the, the, the collection just finished a, a really great run at the Peabody uh, Essex Museum in Salem, and mm-hmm. that's wrapped up now. And uh, we're getting ready to do another show uh, on the East Coast. Uh, when uh, we finalize everything, then I can actually tell you where it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is going to be on the East Coast, uh, and then it's, it's going to... Uh, uh, Go to a few other other museums, and um, and, and so we have a pretty busy schedule as far as the uh, 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 the museum exhibits and the collection are, are concerned. Or it's going to run to like twenty twenty, and this is like three or four different places. So hopefully, it'll come to a place close to you guys because it will be on the east. East Coast. We got to get there. We got to go see those Gogos oh, paintings yeah. in in uh, in person. And, yeah. and one day I'll yeah. have to show you my Lon Chaney Jr. autograph. Oh, totally would love to to see that. And you know, just get together and uh, like uh, do some imp- imitations and impressions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in all your in all your in all your travels, Kirk, and you've been pursuing this a long time. Did you ever meet anybody who did Maria Uspenskaya? Uh, it, it is a first. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have a friend on the East Coast who does a pretty, a pretty good, you know, Igor. I asked uh-huh. him to do Elena Vertigo, but he wouldn't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You don't even do okay. that one. So, no. so, so, hey, Elena Vertigo, guys, come on. Who is she? Oh, she was in the Wolfman. Yes, she just exactly. she just died. She died last was, year. You yes, she did. Wasn't she in House yes, she of Frankenstein? Exactly. Yes, very good. And, she and, was in, and, in uh, House of Frankenstein. And Jake Carroll Nash is in love with her. Yes, she was. Yeah. Elena Verdugo yes. was also Marcus Welby's nurse on, yes. on Marcus Welby, MD. Yes, and didn't Absolutely. she also sell coffee? I don't know about that. She was in those coffee. I don't commercials. know, but that might have been Mrs. Olson. <laughs> but her family. 
at one point her family owned like half of a uh, half of a uh, uh, of the land that Universal Studios is on. Wow. Way way back in the day, uh, her family was uh, I guess they had a huge ranch in that area. Well, Kirk, when you're when you're this way, either with the band or or by yourself, you know, we'll do another one of these. We we can talk about Val Luton. We'd love to. We didn't get into the Black Sleep and we could just we could do a 6-hour no. show with you because you're one of those guys. Yes. I love the black sleep, by the way. And again, you now John Carradine, I thought was just such a great, great actor. You know, he could play anything, and you—he was so convincing. And Tor is in that me. one, right? Tor Johnson. Uh, Tor yeah. Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Janie June. I've never yes. seen it. Shame on me. I got to. I got to catch up and, to the black sleep. And, yeah. And when you watch Carradine, you each time I watch him, I go, "See, that it was funny because both Carradine and Janie Junior were both in that." And uh, yes, Lon Chaney Jr. seemed like a miserable drunk, a depressed, <laughs> angry drunk, yeah. whereas Carradine yeah. seems like the happiest drunk on the planet. Like he seems yeah. blasted yeah. most of the film. <laughs> He's got a body of work, that guy. Well, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, when you when you saw him later on, you know, he did a lot of cameos in like the 70s and whatnot. You oh, know, yeah. he always seemed like he was so happy to be in that, in those ca- in cameo positions. I think he's in, the, is it The Howling or maybe? Yes. Uh, yeah, he's in yes. The Howling. Yeah. I think it was, yes, he's and- in The Howling. He's great in the howling because he looks like he's playing himself. <laughs> and he's the only one. And I couldn't believe they didn't have the rest of them there, like Janie and Karloff. He's the only one of the horror stars who who pops up in the Munsters. Yes, he's Mr. Gateman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the head of the funeral That's director. Right. Yeah, that's he was right. You know? He was Herman Munster's boss. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, and and for a second, he's in Brighter Frankenstein. Yes, he's he is. one of the hunters that that that, that it's uh, the discovers the monster with the hermit. Lincoln, you miss yeah. him. Yes, it's the monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's one. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 could do seven hours talking to you about this stuff, Kirk. It's fun. I hope you had fun. Well, well, let's consider this, uh, you know, episode one. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. We're just going to plug the book one last time. Okay. It's it's alive. Classic horror sci-fi movie posters from the Kurt Hammett collection. It is absorbing, and they're just great to see those those posters. And now I guess I do the wrap-up. You do the wrap-up. Well, this is Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to a guy who is a member of Metallica, but much more important, he's a um, old monster movie freak, <laughs> Kirk Hammond. Kirk, do you know a book called Heavy Metal Movies? Heavy Metal Movies. It's a book you'll like. We're no, going to send. It's by, written by uh, one of our uh, one of our staffers, Mike McPadden. We're going to send you a copy. You'll love it. Oh, oh thank you so much. Uh, it sounds like I will. It's something right up your alley. And this was fun. Our listeners have been saying, "Get Kirk Hammett." And we got you, and we're happy we did. Okay. You know, I, I, I'm I'm really really glad that I had this uh, a chance to like sit and talk to you two fine gentlemen about what means the most in life. 
And, you know, I hope that we can uh, 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 take it up again and, and you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll solve the Earth's problems with, you know, with our conversation, our next conversation. Well, let us know when you're this way and we'll call it part one. Definitely. Thanks, Kirk. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you. Godfried's amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Godfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.